Welcome to Season 2 of IVF Tales. I'm your host, Simone. This podcast was created with the intention of making the world of infertility a little less lonely. Each episode will have a new guest share their IVF journey, sharing some of the most courageous, surprising, intimate and saddest moments of their lives. It's real and raw, it's IVF Tales. So my next guest is Em, who is one of the co-creators behind Not Another Bad Egg, a blog where stories are shared of infertility and pregnancy loss. Together, we are starting conversations and reducing the stigma. So welcome, Em. Hi, Simone. Thanks for having me on the show. No worries. So I'm following along on your blog and I know you are still going through your journey and already have quite a story to tell. So let's start from the beginning. Yeah, so I'll go back to our wedding day. So we got married in December of 2019, so literally just before all the COVID stuff went down. We were actually supposed to elope. So we had planned to elope in Europe the following summer, but our families had, you know, all got a little bit upset by it all. And my sister convinced us to get married over Christmas time when everybody was in Sydney at the same time. And, you know, I said to her, oh, well, I'll call a few places and I'll see what we can do about it. And, you know, if we can find somewhere that'll take us, we'll do it. And this was October 2019, so literally two months to plan a wedding. And I called the venue that we liked. They were like, yep, we're free. That's the only day we have left for the year. And I was like, okay, that's good weird but let's keep going call the celebrant she's like I just had a cancellation so yeah I'm free then I called the photographer she's like I was about to fly to Japan so um but we moved my flight so I'm free and I was like well literally everything just fell into it place. was meant so to be totally meant to be yeah wow um, and we only had one day the 22nd of December where everybody was going to be free and yeah literally everything just fell into place so we ended up getting married on the 22nd of December, a small little family kind of wedding and a couple of our friends and we just had lunch on the beach and and that was kind of it. And we we had our honeymoon and then got into January and I decided to go off the pill. We weren't necessarily ready to start trying, trying, but we figured it would take a while for my body to get back to normal and, you know, we'd just kind of go from there. So... I went off the pill January 2020 and around the same time we started looking for a place to live and we fell in love with this beautiful four-bedroom house which was way too big for us and it still is too big for us but we naively assumed that we would quickly grow into that home Um, and we moved in on the 1st of April 2020 which was also the first day of Sydney's COVID lockdown Um, and that was also when we decided okay let's just start trying properly so we had obviously been you know having unprotected sex all that time but we hadn't been tracking ovulation like literally none of the things that you're supposed to do we just figured oh if it happened it happened and if it doesn't it doesn't so Around April that year, we decided to properly start trying and I started tracking my ovulation and, you know, doing all the things that you're supposed to do when we're in lockdown. So there wasn't really much else to do (laughs) other than, you know, nest in our new home and, and, you know, try to have a baby. So, you know, we were very, very, very naive about what would happen. My, I'm one of four kids. Dan's one of five kids, like neither of our mothers had, you know, any issues conceiving children Um, and no one in our families had ever had any issues. So I guess we just assumed like all the other women in our family, we'd we'd just fall pregnant straight away and, you know, happy days. Um, But that wasn't our story. So we, you know, kept trying throughout 2020 and, Around November, we 
went and saw our GP and, you know, got some of the usual tests and those tests came back and I had a high AHM count. Mm-hmm. The doctor sent me to a gyno to have some more tests done and I had a internal ultrasound uh, and high cosy. That was so the GP was in November and then we didn't actually get the specialist test done until the following January. And those tests came back and showed I had um, polycystic ovaries, which obviously they weren't worried about. Uh, and I also had a band of tissue in my uterus, which they were concerned were, was potentially preventing implantation. Oh, wow. So, Do you know the, the name of it or like the diagnosis or like no, was there a special was, name for it? or There wasn't a special name. Like it wasn't something specific. Yeah. Um, it was just kind of like extra tissue in, yeah, like a like they described it as a band of tissue, like stretching from one side to the other. So it was like potentially preventing implantation. Wow. And did they so, pick that up on the... High, I don't know much about it. Sorry, the high cozy. The high, so they picked it up on the internal ultrasound and the high cozy is probably the worst test that I've had out of all of the tests that um, I've had done. Like I found that test to be so painful when they, oh, wow. you know, they put a, they put a balloon inside you and they like the balloon opens your, I think it's your, um, tubes like stretches your tubes open and then they put dye inside you and then they're doing the ultrasound at the same time and like when I did that I had no idea I just thought I was just going in for an ultrasound and all these things happened and it was really quite painful well I found it quite painful painful. I've heard other people now say that they also found it painful Mm. um yeah so it was actually the ultrasound that picked up the strip the the band of skin yeah so they booked me in just to have day surgery. So I think that was in February of 2021, so mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I had that removed in day surgery and the fertility specialist just kind of said, you know, you can either go straight into IVF now or you can just, you know, keep trying. And I was also grappling with whether or not I wanted to leave my job at the time so I was working in like quite a stressful corporate role for a big bank Mm. Um, and I was feeling so 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 stressed like you were obviously working from home because of COVID but I was spending you know eight o'clock till six o'clock at night in front of my computer in back-to-back meetings so hardly getting any of my work done um and then on top of all that, obviously, all the infertility stuff and I just was starting to feel like, you know, my job maybe wasn't for me anymore. And mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly just felt like I needed to eliminate stresses in my life and that was like the main stressor that I thought I could eliminate, eliminate and then I could really just focus on, you know, my health and, and trying to have a baby. And, and so I had the surgery and then that was kind of when – things kind of ticked over and I thought, oh, okay, like I need to, you know, we need to start taking this a little bit more seriously. And I started doing acupuncture once a fortnight and I actually had spot bleeding. So for that whole year I did have spot bleeding in the 10 days leading up to my period and I honestly thought that was normal. I was like, well, you know, everyone has a bit of bleeding before they get their period and then I go to acupuncture and they're like, no, that's not normal. You, yeah, wow. It sounds like you've got some hormone issues. So I started working through that with the acupuncturist. I oh, so swam. they sorted that out for you, not a fertility yeah. specialist? Yeah, when I – the fertility specialists were like, oh, you know, it's hormonal and there's not a lot we can do about that. And they were really just wanted to focus on the things that they could control. Yeah, okay. Um, And I've found in my experience so far, like a lot of the fertility doctors in my experience have not been like super forthcoming when it comes to alternative medicine. So they're not, they don't like, you know, Chinese medicine. They don't like acupuncturists. Um, Yeah. 
I'm sure there are definitely, you know, doctors out there that that do support natural medicine alongside Western medicine, but mm-hmm. so far in my experience that hasn't been the case. Um, yeah, so I started seeing her. I also started seeing a nutritionist and I completely overhauled my diet, stopped going to the gym. Like I was still like working out quite a lot. And the fertility doctor was the one that actually told me to, you know, move to something more like yoga and low impact, yeah, low impact kind of exercise. So I switched to that. Like I went through this hectic coal in my house and got rid of like all the plastic containers that we had everywhere. Oh, wow. Detoxed everything, changed all our cleaning products, like changed all of our like perfumes and, you know, that type of thing and yeah like literally in that kind of month around the February and having that surgery I just literally overhauled my entire life Mm -hmm. and then around April I decided I was going to leave my job too so I quit my job and I thought I would you know the plan was to take three months off and focus on my health And I was pretty open by this point. I decided that I wasn't going to keep like our fertility struggles a secret. Like I wanted, no one talks about it. And and then the more I started talking about it, the more people started saying, oh, telling me their experiences or people they know experiences. And I was like, not enough people are talking about this kind of stuff. So when I quit my job, I was quite vocal about the reason why I was leaving and that I was going to focus on, you know, trying to conceive and, you know, that kind of thing. And I got a lot of support off the back of that. And so I went freelance because I'm a copywriter by trade and I literally started getting work straight away. So I didn't get to have that three months off, but I was now working a job where I could control my circumstances. So I could choose what clients I was taking on. I could choose when I worked and how often I worked. And I stripped down my week quite a lot. So I was working like no more than three or four days a week, which was awesome because it meant that on the days that I wasn't working, I could focus on, you know, doing acupuncture and other things that I wanted to do for myself to help, you know, de-stress my life because I honestly felt like it took me three months to get rid of all of that work stress that I'd had over that time. And I really had convinced myself that the reason we weren't falling pregnant was because I was so stressed out by work. Like I'd convinced myself that was it. Like it wasn't the surgery, it wasn't anything else. It was the stress and I had to do, like that had to go. So We ended up trying for another six months post-surgery. And then around June last year, which is when we went back into lockdown, we'd planned this holiday in New Zealand, which obviously we had to cancel. We actually have had to cancel quite a lot of holidays over the last two years. (laughs) I think we just kept um you're happy you got married back in uh, the end of 2019 too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instead so of trying got... to elope overseas. <laughs> yeah, we got lucky there. Yeah. Um, but we naively kept booking these holidays thinking, no, COVID will end and, <laughs> you know, all we need is a holiday and we just need a holiday together and then yeah. we'll fall pregnant from these holidays. And every single time we booked a holiday, we had to cancel it. Oh. Um, and so this New Zealand holiday last June got cancelled as well. And Sydney went back into lockdown and I just kind of like had a bit of a, not a meltdown, but like my mental health really took a toll. And the last lockdown, we we were just so happy, like we'd moved into our house and we were nesting and, you know, we didn't even really notice that we were in lockdown. And then this time it was just like completely different and I was in a different place mentally and I was really struggling with all the fertility stuff. And so we decided to take a break from trying. Like, I guess, like you're never really taking a break, but like we weren't being as forceful with, you know, tracking ovulation and doing all of those sorts of things. And we decided to see a therapist. And 
honestly, that was probably one of the best things that we did because that really helped us refocus our relationship and, and, you know, it meant that we could be, I, I guess, like nicer to each other or better to each other. Like we were both kind of feeling the pressure of, you know, all the fertility stuff and wanting to have a baby and, you know, people around us are all falling pregnant and, you know, we were felt like we were falling behind and so yeah we took a break and we saw this therapist and you know focused on our relationship and that was really 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 good for us at the time and then we came out of that and decided it was time to go back to the fertility specialist so we booked in to see um uh, doctor at IVF Australia and by this time it's November um last year and she wanted us to do a few more tests before um before we're starting any treatment so we did a genetic test or a couple of genetic tests and they checked test tested for um killer the killer cells yeah and all of those tests came back normal so basically in the whole two years up the sign from that um band of skin in my uterus all of our other tests came back normal like my husband's sperm tests were all normal yeah every other test that we did was normal my bloods apparently were like you know perfect there was nothing wrong with my bloods I didn't need to take anything or you know work on anything and and so yeah basically come November at the end of November last year you know she officially said we had you know unexplained infertility and the next steps for us would be to start IVF and I think I'd like the reason but you know this was coming up to two years and the reason that I had held out for so long is that I honestly just kept saying no it's going to happen naturally like I just next month it'll happen next month it'll happen and then next thing you know it's two years later and it hasn't happened. I think as well because there was no diagnosis like there was no like oh you you have this this is why you haven't fallen pregnant and I think yeah. as well because you're probably thinking it was the stress, so trying to eliminate that, um, yeah. yeah, before yeah. diving into to IVF because there was, yeah, no real reason until, yeah, I, yeah, think I like, guess. It's one of the – that's one of the hardest things I think that I've experienced is like there hasn't been a reason and there hasn't been something that they can do to fix it. Like if there yeah. was – and like obviously you don't want to be told that there's something wrong with you but if there was something wrong with you at least then they probably have some sort of plan of attack for that situation but it's easier to write it yeah it's easier to write a treatment plan when you've got a diagnosis whereas when it's unexplained it's like well where do we we start we'll start somewhere but we don't know if it's the right way to go but I guess what other option do you have yeah 100 Yeah, so that was November last year and it was the end of the year so we we didn't want to kind of just go straight into IVF and right before Christmas and yeah, so we decided we'd give it until we'd, you know, have Christmas, have January, then we had a friend's wedding in that was in Tasmania so we were going to go away in February for that. So we decided that, you know, the next logical time to start would be March. Yeah. So you are so patient. Like just that's, <laughs> and you're thinking so rationally. Like I just think back to when I was doing IVF and all I wanted to do, I was like, I'm ready to start. I was like, let's start, you know, and then a few weeks later I was into it and I'm all I was always just wanting to do like that next thing, that next thing. Whereas you yeah. think very rationally, which I think is it's gonna work in your favor. Um, just to yeah. to process it and just to yeah, I think it works better if you just give yourself that time instead of always wanting to, to like, jump in straight away. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, a part of me, like, does honestly believe that everything happens for a reason and, yeah. like, you can't force things that aren't meant to happen just yet. And, mm-hmm. like, you know, part of me was like, okay, well, if it, if it was meant to happen now, it would have happened now. So, like, I can't what's the point of trying to force something if it's not ready to happen yet? And yeah. I wasn't mentally ready yet to start 
IVF as well. And I thought, if I'm not mentally ready to start this, then, you know, you know, maybe the universe is going to, you know, it's not going to happen. And, you know, therefore, you know, let's just keep waiting. So I guess that was kind of my thinking behind the waiting. And again, I guess I just, I just wanted it to happen on its own. I didn't want to force it. Mm -hmm. So come February, like a month before we were due to start, my mum was actually diagnosed with cancer, which just came out of the blue. So, and she lives alone on a property like four hours out of Sydney and my, my, my dad passed away seven years ago. So she didn't have anyone Mm. with her to help her through that time. And I'm obviously, I work for myself. I can work anywhere. Like I knew that I was going to have to be there for her at least in the start. So we ended up putting the IVF on hold. We're like, you know what, this can wait again. (laughs) So, and like, obviously that was, quite emotional decision to make because by that point I'd actually finally got to the point where I was ready to start IVF I was quite Mm -hmm. like somewhat excited to at least start the next journey yeah I don't know excited is the right word but you know I was ready to find out more information you know I was kind of seeing it as you know this is the next thing that we need to do to find out what what could be wrong or you know it was the next thing that we needed to do Mm -hmm. so that was quite a hard decision to make but 100% felt like the right decision and like now that I'm looking back and it was definitely the right decision, like my mum really needed me at that time. Mm-hmm. And then I was fortunately, you know, the rest of my family were able to, you know, step up and help look after mum. So she's now in remission, which is amazing. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah, so and she's had really good support since then. That's awesome. People staying with her and helping her to treatments and things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, that took a lot of the pressure off me and I was able to refocus again on what we were trying to do, which was start our IVF journey. So we started in April in the end, I think it was. And, mm-hmm. you know, everything was going quite well. We, like my body was, like, like I didn't have any symptoms to the drugs. Like my body was you know, responding really well. I had 16 follicles and, yeah, I felt quite good. I was very, very, very bloated. But other than that, I was like, you know, I'm feeling really good about this. And at this point I was actually a little bit excited because I was like, okay, like we're, we're moving, things are moving again. Like we're going to have more information soon about, you know, maybe they'll be able to find out what's wrong. Like is it something to do with my eggs? Like, you know, I was just thinking, I wasn't necessarily thinking we're going to get a baby out of this. I was thinking, oh, well, once they've got my eggs out, then mm. they'll be able to test my eggs and then maybe we'll learn something more from that. Or maybe it's an implantation issue or maybe it's a, you know, something to do with the sperm and the egg not meeting properly. And yeah, yeah. so I was kind of thinking about all these things that we might learn from this first round. And I started, got my first ultrasound and they told me that I had 16 follicles, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. And then that later that day, I got like four missed calls from my fertility clinic and I was in a meeting and I was like, why are they calling me so much? Like, And it was the end of the day and I just thought, oh, you know, they're tr- probably just trying to, you know, get through to everybody before they leave at 5 o'clock. So um, and then I finally answered and they're like, oh, we need you to come into the clinic. And I was like, what's going on here? And she's like, tried to explain to me over the phone, but basically Mm. my body hadn't responded to the drugs. So when you're doing IVF, you obviously have the, well, I had gonal, which is the drug that stimulates your ovaries. And then you take orgalutran. That's how you say it. Yep. Yep. Which is the drug that suppresses ovulation and my body just didn't respond to the Algalutran. So when they did the blood test, I'd started ovulating around day 10. The oh, Yeah, so basically my body had started releasing the follicles that I'd grown. And, like, I didn't really know what all of this meant. She's, like, yeah. on the phone to me and I'm, like, well, what's going on? And then 
like she's like you just need to I need you to come in it's going to be easier for us to have this conversation like luckily my clinic's not that far from my house so yeah I get off the phone her I just start bawling my eyes out and I'm like what like freaking out and then we get there and yeah basically it's really really uncommon for someone to not respond to orgalutran or to ovulate before um, Mm -hmm. egg retrieval yeah they it seemed to me at the time like they hadn't even really had much experience with it. Like the doctor was like, I need to think about what we do next. Like they weren't like, they weren't standing there with a plan ready to go. Like we're going to do this and we're going to do this. They're like, basically we're going to force, we're going to crack the word they used was crash. We're going to crash your cycle, which is shots that I think obviously gets me to ovulate all of those eggs but also forces my period to come so okay they gave me these two needles I don't know what the drugs were Mm. and then I got super bloated like really really bloated and then um, obviously released all of those eggs and then my period came wow yeah so then I kind of did my own research afterwards and it's like so uncommon that's like a 1% chance of that actually happening and yeah most of the time when it happens it's for a reason like if you forget to take your drugs on time mm. or if you don't or if you, or if you accidentally skip some of your drugs it can happen but yeah it's uncommon for it to happen just because your body hasn't responded yeah so it sounds like you um, responded really well to the gonal f but the orgaliotran you you didn't respond to yeah that's Far out. That is that sucks. And orgaliotrin, yeah. I think, is such a common drug to use um, for that reason. So yeah, for that to happen, oh, that you just yeah, don't so even think about it. Going into like that scan to see how many follicles you have, you don't even think about that happening. Yeah, oh I like. I had thought about all the things that could go wrong. I'm like, you know, yeah. okay, you, we might not grow that many follicles or, you know, they might not get that many when they do egg retrieval or, you know, we might not have, you know, good. I might not have good quality eggs. Like there's all these things like, you know, the eggs might not fertilise. Like there's all these things that you think about and you're planning for, like, you know, you've read all the information that you possibly can on the internet and I'm sure everybody's like me and it's literally – overloaded themselves with information now about infertility and IVF yeah so you kind of prepared for like most of the outcomes but yeah this was not one that I was prepared for like I did not at all think that we would not make it to egg retrieval like you know egg retrieval was the goal for me all I wanted to know was was there something wrong with my eggs like that was the main thing yeah and to not get to that point yeah, it was pretty devastating. So, oh, that would we, have been. Um, so basically, the doctors were like, "Go home, rest for the next couple of days. Like you're gonna feel really crap for the next two days. You're gonna um, blow up like a balloon. Yeah, and then you're gonna start to feel better. And then we'll talk to you. Like once you start a period, we'll we'll talk about what happens next. And so." Like maybe five days later I got a period mm-hmm. and went in to see the doctor and so she decided we were going to do a long stim cycle for the next cycle. So instead of the orgalutran, I would have Cineril, which is mm-hmm. a nose spray, um, and you start on day 21 of your um, cycle. Start the cycle on day 21 and then it goes into the next cycle. And basically Mm. that drug suppresses all your hormones. Yeah, wow, Um, okay. And, yeah, it's quite a weird feeling to be honest. Like I felt like like the other drugs pump up your hormones. So like the gonals just pumping you full of estrogen, you're feeling super, super emotional, like, and then this other cineral, like it like makes you feel like really dull inside almost. Like it was, I was trying to explain it to my acupuncturist. It's like, it's like you're not really yourself inside. Like all your hormones have been quietened down. Yeah, so it's wow. quite a weird, yeah, quite a weird experience. So 
I'm mid cycle now. So I'm about to go into egg retrieval, fingers crossed. So yesterday I had my scan and my first scan and my bloods were done on Sunday. Mm -hmm. I had a complete meltdown and convinced myself I'd ovulated and Mm. it was going to be cancelled again. And like literally I just like I could not – like I just couldn't get myself out of it. I was convinced. Like I was having all the signs too. Like it felt like I was ovulating, like I had discharge and I was like, no, it's the same thing's happened again. This drug hasn't worked. And I literally like went into this deep dark hole of thinking that, you know, second round is over. But – Good news, it's not over yet. Mm-hmm. We made it yesterday. So I hadn't ovulated yesterday. I've got another check tomorrow. And then if everything goes well, yep. then I'll have egg retrieval on Friday. Yeah. And yeah, that kind of brings us up to speed where I am today. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Just going back to... Your um, so when you were trying to conceive naturally, um, do you think you were ovulating? Like, were you doing ovulation sticks ever, or did anyone look into that to see if your body was ovulating regularly every cycle? Yeah. So at the start, I was like when we started officially trying I started doing the you know ovulation sticks I did them maybe I did them like three or four months in a row and Mm -hmm. I was ovulating at the same like I was basically ovulating around day 14 my cycle was like in in this whole two years my cycle has pretty much been 28 days on the dot like yeah give or take a couple of days like every now and then but you like it was pretty much like 28 days it would come and yeah, okay. the days that I did do the ovulation sticks, like I was pretty much ovulating when I supposed was supposed to. So I guess I just like it just felt like another thing that I had to do doing the ovulation test. So I just, mm-hmm. you know, assumed that um, I was ovulating, but they did do blood tests. Like I had blood tests a few times in that in that two years just to make sure that I had ovulated and yeah, yeah was it's it it was ovulating the times i've been checked so as far as i know yeah we were ovulating every month yeah okay and was there any talk about doing iui before ivf yeah so i like and this is probably again it's so funny how naive you are about everything you just don't know until you start getting into everything but Mm. Like I just assumed that once we decided to kind of step up to fertility treatments that they would do IUI first and I wanted to do IUI first. I was like, well, I don't want to go straight into IVF because let's just try something else first. Like, and mm. um, But basically they said like you're ovulating at the right time every month. Your period is exactly 20 days every month. Like literally all of your blood work and everything says that there is no reason why you shouldn't be pregnant by now on your own. Yeah, true. IUI is basically the same as what you're doing right now. Yeah, like I guess if you've had done a, given it a good crack on your own and you've really timed it over those couple of years, then, yeah, I guess it's not going to make too much of a difference, I guess, hey. Yeah, so they basically said, like, you're just not the right candidate for that. Like, you need yeah. to go straight into to IVF. And at least now, they were they were sort of honest with you because they could have been like, oh, like, we could just give IUI a go and let's do three or four rounds when they were like, oh, maybe you're a better candidate just to go straight into to IVF. Yeah. So, yeah, and yeah. I, like, I have, like, so far my doctor has been really upfront like that and, like, with the – with the when like when I ovulated in that first round they basically said to me we could have kept going like we could just send you into a theater right now and try and get as many eggs as we can before you've ovulated them all and Mm. you know hope for the best yeah but they could have done that it would have cost me eleven thousand dollars or whatever it is for your IVF round and they might not have got any eggs or they might have only got poor quality eggs or eggs that weren't fully grown yet. Yeah. And 
like when I started doing my own research, like I went into a few chat forums and like there was, like I said, there was not a lot of people that this had happened to before. And the ones that had, who had gone for egg retrieval didn't get any eggs. Um, yeah. Okay. Or they got, yeah, poor quality eggs. So yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, my doctor has, you know, really, she's just not a time waster, which is awesome. Yeah, um, that's good. And, you know, it would have just been so disappointing to have forked out all that money and then, you know, not have got anything at the end. So Yeah. And it sounds like you're responding much better to the drugs you're on now anyway. So Yeah, so things are looking good. I don't have as many follicles this time, but, you know, obviously it's quantity, quality over quantity. So Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll just wait and see. Yeah, definitely. And so when you have your egg pickup, will you be put to sleep or are you awake? Okay. Yeah, I think I'm going to be put to sleep. So I didn't want to do it awake. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Were you given the option with your doctor? No, we haven't actually discussed it. I'm like, she, well, she just said that, you know, you'd be asleep. So I wasn't, I don't, I wasn't given the option, but I have heard that other clinics do give you the option to do it. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like when you get your wisdom teeth out in the chair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And will you do a? Are you planning for a fresh transfer if all goes well? Yeah, you know, like we haven't even really got that far in thinking. To be honest, like we, I guess, like I'm, I'll be guided by my doctor. Awesome. Yeah. And. Yeah, if they think we should do a fresh transfer, then, yeah, awesome. Like definitely yeah. super keen to get, like, the embryos genetically tested. Um, but, yeah, like I, I think, like I haven't even really, like I'm not thinking baby yet. I'm still just thinking, oh, well, we're going to get information about, you know, what's wrong. Like I think that's... Yeah. Like for me, it's right now, it's like let's just get more data and information about what could be wrong here. Yeah, and, and I think that's such a good way to go into it. Um, you, I mean, you have realistic expectations, I think, and think, yeah, I think just wanting to get more information, seeing, yeah, how many eggs you get, how many embryos you create, Um and to, to go from there, um, as I mean, it's I think most of us just think of that end goal and like, oh, let's put an embryo, embryo in straight away. Like we just want a baby. Whereas you're just, I just love how patient you are and you're just realistic. <laughs> um, and it's when, yeah, most of us are just like, let's do it now. Let's do it now. Like what, what can we do next? Whereas you're just like, just let's just see what happens and let's get the information. And I love that, you yeah. you know, to be guided by your doctor, I think, yeah, it sounds like you have a really good um, relationship with them, which is really, really good. Yeah, I think, like, I would honestly wait, like, another two years if someone said to me, hey, we've found this thing that's wrong with you and we need to do X, Y and Z to yep. get you better and you need to do this and this and this. I would do yep. that. Like, I like have no problem waiting yeah. if I have to wait, if it means that the outcome is going to be better. Like I just don't want to waste all these opportunities. Like I want to know that there's, if there's something wrong kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And at this point, like there's not really anything, there's literally nothing more they can test for, like Mm -hmm. other than, you know, maybe silent endometriosis, but I don't have any symptoms of endometriosis. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of been ruled off the table but I've definitely like I've been reading more and more about more women having it who don't have any symptoms so Mm. I guess that's something that maybe I would want to explore should you know IVF not work for us the first few times yeah um but yeah like I feel like I mean I just want to I just want to know like what's what's wrong yeah and hopefully after um yeah in the next sort of Oh, what week, maybe two or three weeks, I think you're going to have a few more answers and, um, yeah, you'll, you'll know your, your next steps um, yeah. and whatever that may be. 
Yeah, so fingers crossed for Friday. Yeah, definitely. One other question. Um, with the So the tissue that was found in your uterus, is that something they think they have to keep an eye on or are they happy that they've removed it, that that's it or...? Um, no. So they tested it. There was nothing wrong with it. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, they basically just said like, like later when I started seeing my current doctor, I was like, you know, is there any, should we be checking again? Like, she's like, no, like it's fine. You've had that removed. It, it's, mm-hmm. There was nothing in, you know, the tests that said that there was anything, you know, abnormal there. So, um, yeah, it's just one of those things. Yeah, yeah, wow. All right, would you like to talk about your blog a little bit for us? Yeah, so uh, my friend Lynette, who I think you're also possibly having on the show soon as well, we, yeah, yeah. Um, we've been friends since year seven actually. So, oh, my God, I think it's like nearly 20 years now. I can't even remember <laughs> how long it's been, but it's a long time. Yeah. And she's also been struggling with infertility a little bit longer than me, actually. So she's been trying for, I think it's three and a half years and, you know, we're at two and a half at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we just got drunk on one of the nights where we weren't um, being super conscious about all the fertility stuff and joked about starting a podcast, actually. Um, <laughs> that freaked me out a lot because talking is not necessarily my thing I'm a writer and I'm much better at putting words to paper than I am having a conversation (laughs) so you know the next day I was like oh it's actually not such a bad idea like we have like got so much out of talking about it like I honestly have gotten so much out of being open from my story and I know there's a lot of women out there who don't want to talk about their fertility infertility struggles and either they're not comfortable or you know it's private for them and and that's totally their prerogative but like I've just honestly gotten so much out of being open about our journey and that's everything from being really open with our families who at the start you know weren't they didn't really understand like why we weren't falling pregnant and um everything to like telling my job being open to it there telling all of my friends and like by being open about my story you know in some of those situations like when your friends fall pregnant and stuff like every single one of my friends who have fallen pregnant like during this time has been so conscious of my emotions and how it would make me feel and they've just been so delicate about telling me and making sure that I'm told before everybody else and before it's announced. And I just feel so grateful to all my friends for being so supportive in that way. And like, that's just one example of, you know, the awesome things that I've got out of it. Mm. So it kind of just evolved into let's start a blog and, we just thought, oh, well, maybe we'll just talk about ourselves, like our own journeys and see what happened. And I honestly didn't think it, anything would come of it. But I just thought, let's just write our stories down and put it on Instagram and see what happens. And almost instantly, um, like we put a call out saying we want, we wanted it to be a platform for women to, you know, share their stories and being able to write something down, like, there's so many psychological benefits to writing things down and, you know, keeping a journal and things like that. And we kind of saw this as a way for people to, you know, tell their story and, you know, have it permanently there for other people to read. And I got get so much out of reading other people's stories. Um, and I just figured, you know, other people must, must might get something out of it too. So we put it out there. And straight away, we just started getting people submitting their stories. And yeah, it's just been, it's been insane. Like I feel, yeah, so humbled by all the people who want to share their stories on our blog and being able, like all the messages we get, and I'm sure you get that with the, with the podcast as well. Like so many people reaching out and saying how helpful reading those stories are for their journey. 
um, and like learning so much. Like I've learned there's like every time someone shares a story, I'm like, whoa, I didn't know that that was a thing. Like, like you were saying today, you know, you didn't know about the, the ovulation thing. And, you know, when you shared yeah. your story on our blog, you know, there were things in that that I did, had no idea about as well. And I just think you learn so much from, from reading other stories and, you know, this whole idea of you know, making other people feel like they're not alone and that their story, um, you know, there's other people out there who feel the same way as them. So that was kind of, yeah, it was just this off-the-cuff thing that we decided to do and it's been awesome because it's just something to put to distract you, I guess, like not distract you but like you can put all this effort into something and it makes you feel like your really crappy situation is like there's something good coming out of it because you're helping other people who are going through an equally really shit time. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, yeah, where the blog came from and, and I don't know where it's going to go and how long we'll keep it going for, but for now, like it's been really useful for the both of us to, to put some, some good energy out into the world. Yeah. I am even, I mean, for myself as a reader and then for someone who actually wrote out their story and it is on the blog, um, yeah, writing it down, it, it, it just release so much emotion. And then for other people out there to read it, um, yeah, they're going to learn something. They're going to feel like they're not alone. And, I, yeah, social media and the internet and what we can put on there these days is just so powerful. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we can connect on such a different level. Um yeah, it's so awesome. I love as well, y- your title is what caught me when I was, <laughs> I think, <laughs> scrolling through Instagram one day, not another bad egg like that just, I even told my husband and he he was like, that is cool. So it's <laughs> definitely like, it's de- yeah, it's you, you sort of stop and you think, what is this? And then you go onto it and yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's yeah, it's such a good platform. Yeah, for people to tell their stories and then for people to to read them and yeah and yeah, just feel yeah, so the name part of yeah. Sorry, I was just gonna say the name is like we literally just came up with it like out of nowhere, <laughs> but yeah, like it just felt right in terms of like I guess in a way we kind of saw ourselves as bad eggs. Like we like I just think like you. Like you were so naive before you started this journey and like there's all these things that you didn't know anything about about before you start. Like honestly, you're 20, one minute you're 21 and you think that you're going to have sex one time and you're going to fall pregnant straight away and like, yeah. you know, that's all you know about it. And yeah. then, you know, you're going through this hectic journey in your 30s and, yeah, it just kind of felt like it's a, like a little bit of a nod to the people that we used to be um, but then also you know, what we're going through now. Yeah, love it. That was the other thing I was going to chat to you about because on your on your blog you were talking about um, about like your, your Catholic school upbringing and, and you know, about, um, you know, what they taught in school about, you know, not having sex and they probably didn't even talk much about contraception. But I was having this chat the other day about this and I, I wish instead of what we were taught in school about the don't don't have sex, STDs and all of that, I feel like they should be like you may have trouble falling pregnant, you may lose a pregnancy, you may lose a baby, you may have a friend go through all of this, you know, you may have endometriosis, you may have this, you may have that. Like I feel like we yep. need to just totally – revamp um what we what we learned in school because it's such a load of crap yeah I I thousand times agree with that like I think I've even said it in one of our posts before like there's no way in the world that like my daughter is going to have that way of thinking if I ever get to the point where I have a daughter but you know I want her to 
you know, know how to, from the moment she gets her period, know how to track her ovulation, like know what all the signs are, like know when she's most likely to fall pregnant, like, um, you know, what are all the things that can go wrong? Like it's not normal to have period pain. It's not normal to have spot bleeding for 10 days in the lead up to your period. Like Mm -hmm. I read this amazing book, like this is kind of what started me thinking like you know there's things that are potentially wrong with me I think it's the period manual and I was like why the hell did I not read this book when I was like 15 like it had it it honestly taught me so much and I was learning it at 32 years of age like I was like (laughs) this is insane like how did I not know any of these things about my cycle and like women can literally you know almost virtually tell anything about their health just from monitoring their cycle and I just think that's so powerful and yeah especially with you know endometriosis on the rise and you know it was just like if I think back to being in high school and I'm sure you're probably the same and everybody had period pain like it was Mm -hmm. normal like you just were taught oh no that's normal like you know it's not normal (laughs) and like why is it that you're only learning that that's not normal now like yeah I agree. I think they really need to like rethink sex education. Like abstinence is not the answer. (laughs) Like, you know, it's rarely going to happen that way. And yeah, I think there's so much more that we can teach, especially girls and women about their bodies and their cycle and, you know, what that means at 15 and what that means at 25 and what that means at 35. Definitely. Yeah, because, I mean, these young girls, they might want to be on the pill for, you know, from when they're 16 to when they're 25, but they need to know, you know, the pill obviously has pros and cons, but it often will mask other things and then you're not finding out until, you know, well into your your 20s. But if you're educated on it, then it won't be such a shock that, you know, if you do suffer from infertility later on, you you know, you're educated and you kind of know what to do about it and who to see. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, like, I mean, I was on the pill from, I think, like on and off from the age of 15 and, like, that's a, like, that's nearly 20 years. Like, it's such a long time, like, to be, yeah, taking, you know, a drug that essentially suppresses all, all your hormones and pumps synthetic hormones into your body like it's crazy yeah definitely is there anything else you want to add before we wrap it up tonight no I just want to say thank you for having me like it's been yeah really nice like I said writing is more my thing not having conversations yeah. so it's been really nice <laughs> talking to you <laughs> well I think you spoke really well oh, <laughs> all, all the best for Friday um thank you yeah I hope the next couple of weeks brings you some answers and whatever will be will be and yeah like I said it's so you are such a rock star for just being so patient and just realistic and open-minded I think that's just gonna get you really far um yeah in in this IVF journey whether it's yeah the next few months or the next little bit longer who knows but I wish you all the best thank you thank you so much Em (laughs) 